The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, um, man, thanks for joining us today. It's it's maybe a unique way to do church uh, in, in your cars, but uh, we're going to make the most of it. And uh, a couple things I want to talk about real quick before we jump into the message. First of all, we're going to be looking at um, Ephesians chapter 2. If you got a Bible with you, you can turn to that page. If you got a Bible app, you can look it up. Uh, we use the Version Bible app around here, and, and a lot of us have reading plans out of that. But um, real quick, I want to um, mention that you know, 25 years ago, I used to be a pizza delivery guy at Godfather's Pizza in Marysville, and uh, I used to go on my lunch breaks. I was a brand new Christian, and I used to sit in my car just and I used to listen to messages from Praise 106 stuff. They would have sermons on, and I would listen to those, and I would be taking notes in my car and looking up scriptures. So I just want to encourage you that this takes me back 25 years ago to studying and learning about Jesus sitting in my car out of Godfather's Pizza. So anyway, um, I'm so glad that you chose to join us. And again, this is a unique thing. We're trying it. It seems like it's worked so far. This is our third gathering today. But um, real quick, a couple of directions. First of all, um, if you've got kiddos in your car, we have a Grove Kids ministry. And what we did was we created some online content for you. So if you got kiddos in your car, maybe you got an iPad with you or a smartphone where you can go to grove.church, click on online experience, and there's Grove Kids content. The idea would be they put on their earphones or earbuds and they can listen to the Grove Kids content while you're enjoying the gathering here, you know, right here, the, the main service. So you could check that out. Second thing, on your way in, you should have received a card with some directions um, about kind of what's going on. And it talks about ways to give. Some of you receive the envelopes and we appreciate your financial generosity as we, you know, continue to try to gather in, in different ways. And uh, you can give through the envelope on your way out. There'll be some receptacles with our host team. You can put those in along with the connection card, which the connection card, uh, fill that out. And if you have prayer requests, maybe you got things you want prayer for, and uh, we do this every week, but it's a little different this time, still fill those out, turn those in on your way out, and we would love to be praying along with you uh, just in, in all that's going on, whatever you might be facing personally. Um, let's see, a couple other things. As we dismiss, the service will be about 35 minutes, so we're probably 10 minutes in right now. As we dismiss in a little bit, if you can be patient with us, we have a parking crew helping direct you in, but also also helping direct you out. So if you can just be a little bit patient, follow the directions from the parking crew, it'll make it smoother getting out of here and we'll just do our best. So thank you so much for being flexible with us. We're doing our best. One of our codes, we say, we talk about our core values are our code and it says, we will admit we don't know everything. We'll take risks, try new things, pray hard and learn as we go. And so here's a great example of that happening. So, okay, we're gonna jump into Ephesians 2. Before we do that, this is actually part five and the last in our series called Behind the Music. Now, what we've done is taken popular worship songs literally from hundreds of years of Christian history. We've taken older songs, we've taken newer songs, one that came out last year called Another in the Fire. We're talking about the lyrics, the writer, what's behind the music, and kind of the theological context that they're writing in. And so that's what we're doing today. But what we did is we wrap up this series, and here's what I love, by the way, side note, we planned this message and had uh, this song ready to go months ago as we put our series together. And yet what I want you to watch, because it's pretty cool, is to see how I think this content speaks to our current context in the world we live in. And so again, I think we got a God who cares and knows what's up and is aware of where we're at. So um, we're gonna look at the song Amazing Grace. It's the most well-known and, and most popular worship song in the last 250 years of Christian history. And it was written by a guy named John Newton, 
Um, he was born in 1725 in the UK, and uh, he was raised by a Christian mom, but she died when he was seven years old. And so he got a foundation from birth to seven, but then after that, his dad remarried, and his dad and his stepmom really didn't have the same values, didn't have that same sense of, of you know, fear of the Lord. And so as he was growing into his teen years, he was kind of known for his rebellious life. He was known for uh, doing things he really shouldn't be doing. As he navigated towards 18, 19 years old, um, John Newton ends up, uh, he's kind of a partier. He, he falls in love with a gal named Mary, and um, he, he travels to visit her when he can because they didn't live close to each other. But when he was traveling at one point, and this is back in the UK in the 1740s, you know, 40s. Um, here he is. Uh, he, he gets uh, basically kidnapped more or less by what's called a press gang. And they would force you to do things you didn't necessarily want to do. He was forced to work on a ship where uh, conditions were brutal, food was terrible, and they weren't treated kindly at all. So here he is, 18, 19 years old, and he's stuck in this situation. Well, at first, he tries to escape. And, and as he tries to get away, he gets caught. They literally strip him down and beat him. And he basically decides just to cave to his life and go, this is my lot. This is what I have to do. And so he makes the most of it. What he does is he decides to work hard and be diligent. He's also a partier and he's really taken on drinking and his life's becoming a mess. Well, in the midst of this whole world and this whole kind of disaster, um, he kind of climbs the ranks in this you know, shipping industry and he ends up on a ship called the Greyhound, which unfortunately was a slave trading ship. So he oversaw the slave trade from this ship called the Greyhound. And one night as he's out at sea, there's a giant storm and um, the, the, the boat, the ship begins to take on water and he does everything he can throughout that first night to, to cause the ship to stay afloat and, and they don't die. But he also kind of has this epiphany as he stops and thinks, he remembers back to being a kid and remembers back to what his mom taught him about a God who cares about him. And here he is on this ship literally wondering if he's going to survive the night and thinking, what have I made in my life? What have I been doing that, that is anything worth anything? I, I, I've made mistakes. I got, you know, this, this addiction to alcohol. He kind of made a mess. He's in a, a slave trade that at the core, is, as you read about his life, he, he knows is wrong, but he does it because it's lucrative and he makes a lot of money from it. But he's there thinking he's going to die going, what have I done with my life? And it's that night where he literally turns his heart to the Lord. And I love how, as you look at the story, you can see God at work in the midst of an absolute disaster of a life. But what I love is God was only one step away for John Newton. Well, I'm going to read here as he turns to the Lord. This is an excerpt about his life. At last, John Newton recalled what his mother had taught him from the Bible. And here's the key. God loves to show mercy even to people who feel that they're beyond redemption. Newton asked God's help for the first time in years, and he survived the storm. It didn't happen overnight, but John's New John Newton's life began to be transformed. He learned to pray. He had found friends. He, excuse me. He found friends who shared his faith and could help him understand how it applied to his life. Eventually, he gave up his role in the slave trade and stopped sailing for a living. He studied theology and became a pastor. And as time went on, he ends up at a large church in London. I'm going to read the last paragraph. It says, in his later years, as the pastor of a larger church, he helped lead many to the God that he had once mocked. He was also active, and I love, listen to this, he was also active in the movement to abolish 
the British slave trade. When the prime minister appointed a committee to investigate the slave trade, John Newton was asked to be a key witness. He explained the horrors of the industry from the inside out, and his compelling testimony helped make the slave trade and eventually slavery illegal. Now, I've said before, I didn't grow up in church. And I'm guaranteeing that there are some of you that are listening right now that you didn't grow up in church either. But what I love is when I was 16 and a half years old, I realized there was a God who cared so much that he sent Jesus to the cross. And some of you have realized the same thing that for me, I, I look at Newton's story and I may not have lived in, in, in a world that became as dark as John Newton's, but here's what I love. Ephesians chapter two, that Paul wrote for you and I about 2,000 years ago, not only applies to the church 2,000 years ago, not only applied to John Newton 250 years ago, but applies to you today. So I wanna take a look and, and we're gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna read and then we'll break it down a little bit. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the days of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying uh, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but, and listen to verse four, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. I'm gonna come back to it, but remember, we just read the word grace and read the word mercy right in that verse. Now, verse five, uh, sorry, verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The picture that Paul is creating for the church at Ephesus and for me and for you and for John Newton is this idea that for you and I, the issue of sin is a major problem. The issue of sin is, is a destroyer. And he begins to continue on in verses two and three to say, because of sin, you and I are objects of wrath. The penalty for sin is, is judgment. And yet God doesn't leave us there. And that's what Paul wants us to get to. Don't stay camped out on verses one and two and three, get to verse four. And so verse three, we lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That was John Newton's story. That's your story. That's my story. That, that we lived among them at one time doing whatever we wanted to do, indulging the, if it feels good, do it kind of mantra. That's the world that we lived in for so long. And yet it says, God didn't leave us there. Look at verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, and listen, here it is, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, and sins. That to me is, is the clincher of the whole verse. That's the turning point of this picture of you and I deserving what we deserve because of sin. But as, as God enters the picture in his great love, extends to you and to me mercy and grace. Now, I'm going to give you a simple definition of mercy and of grace. Somebody once said, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so God 
does not give us what we deserve in our sin. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And so look at that verse again and think of it in that context. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved, getting what we don't deserve. This goes back to one of the core verses kind of in in Christian history. John 3, 16, some of you are well aware of what it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's at the core of, of what Paul is describing here. Paul just gives us a little more detail of what this is about. And then it says this, and and I'm just going to get right into verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, saved from the penalty of our own sin, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Listen, I love this word. It is the gift of God. It's not what we deserve, but it's what we get because of who our God is. So he says, it is by grace you have been saved. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift. Listen to verse 9. Not by works. Now that's important because here's here's a great point to this whole picture that Paul is making. When he says not by works, it means this. You and I didn't earn it. We we didn't figure out how to do so many good things that, that that would be ours. He says we didn't earn it, but here's the other side of the coin that some of you today need to hear. It also means that you can do nothing that takes you so far away that you can't receive it. And to me, that's the best news because here's what it means. Some of you, last night, were doing stuff that you wouldn't want me to know right now. Friday night, you were doing stuff you would not want me to know right now. Some of you, this last month, this last year, some of you go back to the the, the 20-teens or however you say that, the last 10 years, and go, there are things I would never want you to know because I don't deserve God's grace. And that's Paul's point. You can never get to a place where you're so bad off that you can't in a moment turn to him. That, that's what, by the way, that's what the word repentance means. At the core of the word, it sounds like such a kind of a harsh, weird word, but repent literally just means this. If you're heading this direction and it's the wrong direction, it means go the other way. Go 180 degrees exactly the opposite way. And that's what God offers us in Christ. Repentance. That's what John Newton's epiphany was on this ship where he thought he was going to die. That he, he had God's grace. That as I believe it's Hebrews 13, 5 tells us, he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. Now I want to look at the lyrics to the song Amazing Grace. And I just learned uh, just this week as I was saying, there are seven verses. I had no idea. There was one verse I had never heard before until I was getting into the details of this hymn. But it says this. And again, I'm going to read these, but I want you to not hear them from some guy telling them to you. I want you to think about what these words mean to you personally what these words mean deep in your soul, that maybe you're here today and, and you hear this whole you know, virus thing and it just causes this panic. Or, or maybe you, you got a situation in life, not even related to an epidemic, but to you personally, stuff going on that's just got you sideways emotionally. Whatever the circumstances might be, let me just read these lyrics and my hope is that your soul, and this is a weird way to say it, but my hope is that your soul can drink this in. Okay, you ready? Don't just hear it as a song, listen to the lyrics and let, it, let them sink into your soul. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, 
a reverence for God, taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Some of you, man, that line is the one you need today. Grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. And here's the verse I had never heard before. Verse five, yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And just real briefly, as you look at old hymns, a lot of times they end, the last couple of verses tend to, uh, turn our hearts towards eternity. And that's what he does in these last two. It says, verse six, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. And the last one, and this is a picture of eternity I love. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Again, this message and this hymn was planned even months ago, but I wanna encourage you that God's got this. And in light of what you hear, viruses and all the fears, I think this is a timely conversation. In light of our own sin, it's a timely conversation. In light of the remembrance of eternity, that we're not just here and done, there's something beyond the veil, and, and, and John Newton even refers to the veil. There's something beyond the veil of this world that we need to be reminded of, that we have hope to hold on to, period, no matter what, forever. So I'm going to pray, and then Jordan and the team are going to lead us. Uh, so let's go ahead and do that. Father, thank you for the amazing grace that you offer every one of us. That on one hand, in light of the world we live in today and all of the news and all of the dread and all of the fear and, 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 and that sense of hopelessness, God, I pray that we would lean into you. And I pray that even as we look at a song like Amazing Grace, as we look at the core of Ephesians chapter two, as we think about what you offer to us because of your love, I pray that people would literally leave these moments with a certain confidence in who you are with a certain confidence in your love and your grace that you extend, the mercy you give us. Father, do a work because honestly, we all need it. It's, it's never been more true or less true. It only feels that way. That we may have felt two months ago, hey, life's good and here we go, new year, yeehaw. And now here we are going, what in the world is this going on? But it was still as true back then as it is today. We need you like we need oxygen, more so. And I pray at the core, you would continue to mature us and transform us and challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.